You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long. Like, try not And I'm not being filmed. No. So if I'm going to look at my notes, I'm completely okay with that. You are 100% okay with that. I am totally going to be looking at my notes the whole time. Okay, got it. I can't memorize something for more than five minutes. I just don't want to, you know... like a goldfish. Like, I've already forgotten who I'm talking to. (laughs) feel like who Art Ed... (laughs) Try to splice it. Who Art Ed? Mr. Wood, Art Ed, me. (laughs) Either way, it it works on so many levels. I know. That's off to a great start. So today, I am joined by Jim Politis. Hello. One of my favorite teachers from the last decade that we've been working together. And we're going to be looking at the work of Alphonse Mucha. And I'm excited for this one because this was actually an artist I wasn't very familiar with beforehand. But you brought him to me because you you said you like his work, right? I very much like his work. And there's a number of reasons why. One is a family connection. And that's how I learned about him because my wife is from Slovakia. And uh, his her her parents which was once Czechoslovakia, yeah. and her parents purchased these uh, some posters from Muka of the Four Seasons way back in 1967. Yeah, and the Four Seasons is a, is a pretty well-known series of his work um, from his Art Nouveau period. Um, so now we're going to start with our first segment, which is going to be um, the in-situ segment, where we give a little bit of context to the art. Now for our in-situ segment. Just give me some context. It's about the artist and where this came from. Where this all came from. So the first thing to know is Alphonse Mucha was, he was born in 1860, died in 1939. So that's the time period, late 19th, early 20th century is what we're talking about. And he is best known for his Art Nouveau posters. Uh, He made advertisements, illustrations, decorative panels, jewelry, etc., but he really became best known for his posters of the French actress Sarah Bernhardt. Um, when he was living in Paris, he, made, he was commissioned to make posters for her. Later in his career, he created what he considered to be his most important work, which was the Slav epic. That was, I think it was 20 canvases. And when I say canvases, they are giant. Mm-hmm. They are mural-sized canvases that are showing sort of the, the history of the Slavic people, and um, he spent, I think it was like 10, 12, uh, I should actually look it up, he spent 14 years on that. He started it in 1912 and finished it in 1926. Uh, Two years later, he presented it to the Republic of Czechoslovakia on the 10th year anniversary of the um, country's independence. 
And while he considered that historical painting his most significant work, he is, as I said, best known for his Art Nouveau. I always find it interesting looking at like artists and how sometimes it seems like they kind of miss the mark on their own significance. Because he said, you know, what is Art Nouveau? Art can never be new. Which I find like an interesting statement. You know, when you think about like art can never be new. Because like when I think of art, I don't know about you, but I always think of art is always new. Like, I think that's, like, definitive of it. Well, to me, art is always new, and it's not only new, but it's a reflection of the actual time in history. And whether the artist even knows that, they're still reflecting that period. Yeah. And that's one of the things that interests me about him, too, is that that Slavic epic that he tried to portray, then it wasn't real successful till later on. Well, I mean, it was... It It wasn't accepted by the Slavs as much as it should have been, because it... Yeah. However, it is now. It is yeah, very yeah, yeah. much now. Yeah, it, I mean, in his time, he wasn't. Uh, you know, he his his fame sort of it had peaks and troughs. But um, you're right. In his time, that Slavic epic wasn't as acclaimed as it is today. Um, just like towards the end of his career, he was seen as sort of out of fashion. But then, like twenty years later, his his work was hugely influential in like the nineteen sixties, the counterculture and and sort of the psychedelic artists. A lot of psychedelic psychedelic posters and stuff that the hippies were making. It was very, very much like directly drawn from Art Nouveau. Um, in some ways, actually, like copying the contours but changing the colors, as well as obviously some some other embellishments to you know put uh, Jimi Hendrix on there instead of, you know, the whatever company was being advertised. I don't want to, I don't want to be buzz marketing for any products that might have gone out of business a hundred years ago. And the people that live the Bohemian lifestyle, they would see that this is exactly a reflection of that. And I think that's why the sixties adopted it because the, the hippie movement, which is now quasi, uh, quasi uh, bohemian lifestyle is really an offshoot of that. And he reflects it perfectly. Yeah. And, and I think also one of the common threads there was like Art Nouveau also came at a time of social upheaval, just like the hippie counterculture movement came at a time of social upheaval. The social upheaval happening in the Art Nouveau period Um, you know, late 19th, early 20th century, that's the time of the Industrial Revolution. That is the time when steam and coal are powering everything in ways that are new and frankly scary to some people. Like, you know, it's it's roughly the same time period as the Luddites who were, you know, railing against the machinery and saying that, you know, they need skilled weavers to be operating these steam steam powered looms and things like that, not not just anybody off the street because it was a threat to their livelihood, but also a lot of artists had this, this reaction to it, looking at all that new technology, which was very geometric and steel and glass. And in a lot of ways, in a lot of views, sort of hyper-masculine, um, just driving forward and relentless. And they thought it was ugly. And so like the Art Nouveau was in some ways... Um, you know, it's funny that they call it Art Nouveau because it me- li- Art Nouveau literally means new art. But in some ways, it was looking backwards. It was it was going back to this idealized sort of notions of beauty being very organic, and we see a lot of 
we see a lot of um, sort of botanical imagery, a lot of plants and Absolutely. you know um, floral patterns and designs, very elaborate and intricate, which is some ways railing against the the sort of stark and simplistic modernist uh, tendencies that were happening at that time. That's one of the things that really uh, impresses me too. Is I, I'm huge on color. I love Monet because it's so bright, but um, Mucha's not like that. Mucha's colors, it's almost like you think, wow, did this fade because they're so soft, but all the colors, even the yeah. reds are earthy. Yeah. And well, so it's it's a natural, it's like nature, he puts nature down on the canvas or whatever. Yeah, he yeah, uses. yeah. He, no, he absolutely is putting nature in there. And you're right. It is an earthy feel to it. it is, there is a softness to it that I think um, part of the reason he was so successful is because it was a breath of fresh air. The piece that we're going to be looking at in a minute, I think it was one of the first ones that was commissioned by Sarah Bernhardt, um, an actress. And she basically, she wanted this poster that was going to be advertising an extended run of her play. And it was around Christmas time. And she wanted the posters to be done by January 1st. She calls up the publishing house and Muka just happened to be there from what, from what I've read and what I understand. He just happened to be there checking on the proofs for some of his other prints. Uh, the proofs are sort of like the first run where the artist will check them out before they print a thousand copies of it. They want to make sure the first test print go goes well. So he's looking at them and doing some corrections. And because it's the holidays, there aren't a lot of artists in-house that are able to take this job. But Muka was there, and Muka had, um, had done illustrations of Sarah Bernhardt in the past because he was doing some commercial work. He had done some illustrations for magazines and stuff like that. So he was able to knock out this drawing on a pretty tight deadline. And he made a larger than life size drawing, like two, I think it was over two meters tall. I'm just a little over six feet tall. So it was about as tall as I am, maybe a little bit higher than that. And it was just stunning to people. You know, most advertising is so bright and vibrant to grab your attention. It's sort of um, visually yelling at you. And when you see that poster that that is large and organic and flowing and soft and natural, it draws you in. It it's, draws you it's in. Warm. It's a it's a it's a break from the chaos that is all around. Especially at that time, like like I say, that was a time of tremendous change steel, to people's machinery yes. gears oil yeah. all this hard loud noises yes. and none of it is loud it's all yeah. soft yeah. and and so it it immediately became sort of a sensation in paris as those posters went up um the the actress sarah bernhard she ordered a run of like four thousand copies of that poster and she commissioned him put him on on a contract to work for her making her posters for six years, six years after yeah. that yes. um and she would she would print up thousands of these posters and she actually held some back because she knew collectors would want them like she immediately recognized the marketability of of this work as others did as well like i said he he quickly rose to prominence and 
became famous. And um, aside from working for her, he got commissioned and put on, under contract at publishing houses. They wanted to just buy every, they wanted the rights to everything that he was making for years after that. And so that's where he built up his fame and his prestige and, and a bit of a personal fortune that gave him that leeway to spend I think it was 13 or 14 years making that Slav epic, the passion piece that he had, um, that he later, you know, just gave to to his homeland. That's why I truly appreciate his work, too, is because it enabled, and I, I think this was what he was happy for, too, is that it gave the common man an opportunity to have beautiful pieces of art within his home that he normally, before that, could not afford you either had to have an oil or something that was done by hand by an artist and only the wealthy could afford that this is what i see as the beginning of breaking down that barrier between high art and low art commercial and fine art and the the class system it breaks down the class system and 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 it it set the stage i think to to a lot of things that over the the hundred years to come um really were transformational like I see this in a lot of ways as a predecessor to like Andy Warhol and Keith Haring and and those other artists who were living in the gallery world but also doing things that was mass produced and more accessible and uh, Keith Haring specifically I love but I think we've got enough for the background there okay so now we're going to shift to the in in gallery segment This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds, like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. Now for our in-gallery segment, we're going to have a discussion looking more carefully at one piece. We're going to look closely at the poster that really launched his career. This is a poster for the actress Sarah Bernhardt for an extension of her play Gizmonda. Gizmonda? Gizmonda. Gizmonda, yes. Yeah, Gizmonda. Um, I'm just trying to keep with my precedent of mispronouncing everything (laughs) from a foreign culture. That's what I've done on pretty much every episode. Yeah, when um, the first time I wanted to tell my mother-in-law that I loved her, I actually said, I'm in love with you. And she didn't know what to say. So, you know, I can understand. You know, it's just language is difficult. Language is hard. <laughs> I can barely keep up in English. Um, so 
I think it's always helpful to start by just looking at and identifying like, what are we seeing here? What what's what's jumping out to you visually about this piece? What are you seeing? What I see is the beautiful floral arrangement or that's that's uh, colored on her robe or her dress. Yeah. And the warm colors. It's like the first time I saw Mooka, I thought, oh my gosh, I wish it was brighter. Because like I said, I'm yeah. really big in the color, you know. But then I realized, no, no, this, this is exactly what nature is. Nature, that's why everyone, everyone wants to take pictures of flowers when they're in full bloom. But when you look at flowers in the fall, late fall, that brown and dark green is just as beautiful. It's just different. Yeah. And so his, his colors are that warm feeling they don't jump out they they don't burn your retina they they're they're just they're inviting yeah it's 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 almost sort of sepia tones it's these like earthy warm browns oranges some pinks um it's soft pastel colors and i do feel like that that's like i say it's almost like sepia tones it has that nostalgic like worn feel mm -hmm. even when it was new it felt a little bit old like as i'm looking at at that dress that it is a gown that feels draped over her but it is a costume that it feels ancient you know what i'm saying yes, it yes. feels like she's taking on this ancient persona like there's there's this byzantine sort of feel to right. all of this with the elaborate floral patterns it's almost like a mosaic above her right. in terms of the way that the 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 font is created it everything about it feels like it is referencing old like it feels like it should be a tapestry or a scroll or something like that because it feels like it is this sort of neoclassical. It's like, it's, it's all this look back and nostalgic feel. Um, we see her name nice. Her name is probably one of the highest bits of contrast. As we look at that, that shock of white lettering surrounded by like the oranges and reds. And it's forming this arc, almost like a halo over her head. Um, you know, that sort of reinforces that silhouette as our main focal point. And we see her wearing this almost like crown of flowers. And that floral motif is repeated in the like palm frond that she's holding and the floral pattern that leads down the dress that also feels like it has like a shawl almost, you know, draping down the sides. It's almost like a goddess. Some, if, if there was a goddess, that's what, yeah. a, a nature goddess, that's what she'd be wearing. Yeah, there's, there's this almost like ancient Greek or Roman, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, like she feels like she's coming from mythology. And he sneaks some blue in also that is perfect, goes perfect with those browns and golds and yellows and peach color. Yeah. And it, it's just perfect, but because it, it doesn't, you'd think blue could overwhelm those warm colors, but it doesn't. It fits in perfectly. The other thing I'm struck by is just the spectacular draftsmanship. I mean, his, like, the way that he has rendered her, it's like he's using every line he needs and nothing extra. Like, as ornate and detailed as it is, there's nothing that feels superfluous. The line that he draws, there's this elegance to it. And the, the way that he shifts the weight of the line or the thickness of the line. Some are heavy, some are thinner and softer. Mm -hmm. And he does that masterfully. And the other thing that really attracted me to Muka is if you look at all, many, many, all the, all the seasons are women. 
and much of his work has women in it. And if you, you really have to study their face, a lot of times uh, Ava and I, my wife Ava and I, will look at paintings of peasants and we'll try to imagine what they're thinking. So if you look at all the women that he portrays, yeah. they're all beautiful. They don't, their face does not overwhelm all the art. They're not yeah. so beautiful that that's the focus. But if you look at them, it's like they're in a state of thought and they're not telling you what that thought is. You, ha you, could, you yeah. could imagine many things. It, it, so I invite anybody who looks into a lot of Mooka's work, look at the women's faces. They're, they're, it's very interesting. You can see many things within that face, and that's what's really fascinating about it. I, obviously, I, he loved women because well, a lot of his work was women, and I think that attracted me to it. Sorry. Um, no, but I, but I also think, you know, as you talk about like his his um, repetition of the female form as the subject matter, I think it is worth mentioning in our 21st century lens, we often see like a man who is constantly drawing and painting women as objectifying women and leering and you know there's something gross about it. The way we think of like Gauguin felt very gross. Like I refuse to even teach about him. Yeah. Um, the thing that strikes me about Mucha, which is very different, is Mucha, like a lot of Art Nouveau artists, he was focused on the female form as sort of symbolic of softness and beauty and a contrast, like I said, to the hyper-masculine machinery, steel, glass, geometric, linear forms. And so while I think there, there probably could be a, a reasonably strong feminist critique of, of some of this work, I think also just in that historical context, you have to realize it wasn't perceived that, that same way. And I see the problematic aspects of it. I don't want to deny that. But I also think it's not of the same nature that I would put like Gauguin running off to Tahiti to sort of um, paint his fantasies of indigenous people and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I, I don't. Think I don't think it's objectifying women in the same way. I mean, here he's he he is painting his patron. She commissioned him. And that's one of those reasons that I always start off with that background, that context information, because if I saw just, well, he painted a lot of posters of women, I'd say like, well, that's the see, difficult thing the about male gaze, but like, well, he was commissioned to paint her. Right. She wanted him to paint her. She exactly. Her. And I think if, if um, I didn't, I never looked at it as he was making objects out of women. Yeah. I think he, I took it and I take it. And everybody takes something different when they look at a piece yeah. of art. But I take it as, as, as an honor. He's honoring women. But also, like I say, he was working for a woman. He was doing this for a woman who was a pretty strong and industrious business person obviously, and very savvy in her own right. Yeah. She would have those posters printed, but then hold back some because she knew there was a market for collectors. And, you know, I think that's one of those things that the more you look into it, the more you realize... Um, there's more than meets the eye. There's emotion there. There's a lot there, a lot there, but it's not, they're not it's just... The still waters run deep, you know? Yeah, it's exactly. The, there's exactly. like that ambiguity. It's just like his colors. They're very deep, but yet they're very, 
you know, very laid yeah. back and mellow. Well, and and you know it's the intricate patterns are well, deep. and we're going way too long on this, but it, but it's hard not to because <laughs> yeah. there's so much to unpack there, and that's part of what I really like about it is. At first, you look at it as this, okay, there's a nice-looking poster. But then you start to notice there's so much detail. There's so much that is very meticulously rendered, very carefully thought out. Um, there is a little bit of ambiguity to the pose, to the facial expression. And he's, that doesn't happen by accident. And I think part of the, the reason, it's, you know, it's kind of like the, that Mona Lisa smile where it's like there's just that little bit that's off where it's like yes, there's yeah, a subtle the there's a subtle illusion there that is not like it's not beating you over the head the way like Picasso's old guitarist is like mm -hmm. okay we're seeing a street performer this is sad he's emaciated we get it you know <laughs> right, right there's like th there's there's nuance to this there there are layers of meaning to this that I think um, make it more captivating I think that's what makes art great is that yeah. when you, you can you can bring many different things out of it. And a lot of it depends on how you're going in. So I always like to wrap my in-gallery segment with if you could take this out of the galleries. If you, you know, had this poster, where should this hang? Well, first of all, it would go in my classroom. It would be great <laughs> in my classroom. It's in... Uh, you we take have, it for yourself. Yes, uh, this poster would be great to add to my home because I've got the Four Seasons there. I think you can put it in any Bohemian clothing shop. And I just, I think it, it could go on a t-shirt, <laughs> honestly. Uh, so you just want it everywhere. Man. Yeah, I just you think just it's beautiful. It just gives a warm everywhere. feeling. There's nothing, like sometimes things jump out at you and, and they're like, oh, you know. I, I'm, never, I'm never out of the mood to look at his work because yeah. it doesn't hurt. It never hurts. Yeah. It kind of provides what you want, you know? Yeah. So that's what I like about it. So I think you can, she can make a tattoo if you want to find somebody that could, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> I mean, that'd be you, a hard tattoo. You'd be, you'd be there for days, but uh, it would be quite a nice tattoo. But anyway. I, I, I always like that unexpected stuff. Although I, I would say along similar lines, like I look at this and I think like, I would put this up in a cafe. Yeah. Because this feels just so much like, for a place where you want to sit and relax and like it's just it's soothing it is this is soothing it's is a very a vanilla of kind of just like yes relax yes. and you know it's a baguette with some cheese it's, enjoy, it's exactly enjoy your coffee or you know yeah it's not whatever it's not a t-bone it's not a t-bone kind of picture not yeah. <laughs> And now for our in studio segment. In studio. Think about what strategies are working. Take it. Good make artists. It your own. Copy. Great artists. Steal. Just go ahead. Steal this and art. Make it your own. These are the takeaways. This is what you can apply to your own work. You and I can just go back and forth sharing our takeaways from this piece and what we would do for ourselves or recommend to others in order to make better artwork based on what we can learn from Muka. So do you want to go first or shall I? I, I can go, I think. Uh, I think what I get from this is um, back to nature, to honor the earth and honor the beauty and honor everything around you and don't take what you don't need. And, and that's what I take away from this art. And that's what attracts me to it. Um, you is, never got out of the 60s. I you? never have. But you know what? <laughs> I looked up Bohemian today. You and you know what? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that, you know, because it's all about 
it's all about freedom and flowing and we don't we don't hurt anybody we try not to hurt anybody we're yeah. humans but we try not to hurt anybody and that's the way i take his art is it's soft and that's something that i think i would also have as a takeaway is that um you know one of the things about art nouveau was they they said we just want to make things that are beautiful you know the, the progress is great but also appreciate the aesthetics because the way that something looks conveys a feeling and it, it it makes us embrace something or shy away from it. And, um, you know, it's like, I love Apple computers because they put a lot of thought into the design that makes it the computer that is not intimidating for the rest of us. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I never learned that much about ones and zeros. My, my brother <laughs> knew all that stuff, yeah. but, uh, you know, I, I think designing something that, just makes people feel good yeah. is worthwhile. Like there's so much, even Mukai himself talked about historical importance and stuff, but what's historically important and what was lasting was the stuff that's just celebrating beauty. Yes. And nature and making people feel good. I think that, that people can rest and breathe and relax. And yeah. the, the, the more we embrace the modern world, whether it be the industrial revolution or the technology revolution, the more we always have to remember nature, the outdoors, the things that are important. Like it, it's great to have an Apple computer or any computer and master it and do all these really great things with it, but it's also great to take a walk in the woods. And so we have to keep that in mind too. And just like I think he was but, trying to do with during the Industrial Revolution is to remember the beauty of nature. We have yeah. to we always have to return back to that. Because yeah. the have Industrial to take it Revolution it did kill nature. Yes, <laughs> it did. It, yes, right? it did. And I think that's why it's important that, you that know, we bring we, it back. And we bring it back because it's really coming to the brink again. And everything's cyclical. And so we have to remember that we are the earth and we have we have to keep it healthy. Just like we have to keep our minds healthy. And just have, or, we have to expand our minds with the technology that's available. Or we can start to see the beauty of living on a plastic garbage island exactly. in the ocean. That's exactly right. So I guess my next takeaway is, you know, he's got a lot of, a lot of intricate detail here. And he paid a lot of attention to what we call the weight of lines, which is sort of how heavy or thick certain lines are. And if you look carefully at this, we see some like some things are very heavily outlined, like the edge of her dress. And then some of these things have much thinner, softer lines that differentiate things. And it's a good it's a good thing to have that variety and pay attention to what type of line are you putting down. You want those heavy lines to emphasize the biggest, most important parts, but you also you don't want everything to be cranked up to eleven. You know exactly. what I mean? You want some things to be softer and lighter and sort of that breath of fresh air and it's that variety that keeps things interesting. Anything else you want to share? No, I just, I, I hope that everyone gets a chance to just Google him and look at some of his work. And my last takeaway is going to be that when we incorporate text into the image, it is really important that that writing be artistically done. I've seen so many times where I've, I've seen beautiful drawings that students then start to label parts and it's just done in their normal handwriting and it doesn't fit in with the rest of the mm -hmm. piece. And text is very difficult to get unified 
so it fits in with everything else. But Mooka did that wonderfully, and I think the strategy he used that was very effective was he drew this bounding box, like he drew that arc and then stretched the letters to fit that arc. And he thought about what kind of font, that sort of curvy, wavy, a little bit organic font is going to fit in with the curvy sort of organic shapes of the dress, of the palm frond, of the flowers, of everything else. It all is tied together. If you're going to incorporate text, make sure it is drawn the way everything else is. Start by planning the size of it. Where is it going to be? How does it fit into the rest of the composition? And then draw it, color it, make it artful, not just your normal handwriting. I think you've come up with a natural lesson right here. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> what I'm going for. Well, thank you so much. You're um, I really appreciate your taking the time. I appreciate you asking me. It was fun. It was fun. Thank you. Okay, buddy. Podcast done. Never Thanks, know. man. That was kind of fun. I hope I didn't talk too much, or I hope I didn't interrupt. Because I- <laughs> <laughs>